0: I'm going to look at a couple of passages of scriptures to get started. And, why am I doing that? I forgot about this. I... Daniel? Could you, uh... I don't know if it's not there for everybody, make sure husbands and wives at least get one, and then the adults and then whatever's left you can give it to whoever wants. So, start at Exodus 28 and verse 1. And then I'm going to go to 1st Timothy 2 verses 8 through 10. Exodus 28 <clears throat> verse 1. We we'll continue our through our standard sheet, and as we mentioned before, standards are merely a reflection of a spirit-filled life. The issue it's a, it's a matter of the heart, of course, and um, and of course teaching and instruction. Um, Exodus 28 verses 1 and 2. Tonight we're going to be looking at. Um, wearing immodest clothing or clothing is not appropriate to my gender. And, uh, there's a couple of scripture verses. We're going to look at all these. But anyway, we're going to start with Exodus 28, verses 1 and 2. Take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him. For among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even as Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. Now look, first Timothy, chapter two. First Timothy chapter two, and verses eight through ten. First Timothy two eight through ten. Well, the Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which become with women professing godliness with good works. And again, the the emphasis here in this chapter is not right clothing. It's holiness. It's godliness. That's the emphasis. But he says, if we're going to lift up holy hands, notice men without wrath and doubting. He addresses two things there with men in particular. And then the women he addresses, you know, holiness, what goes along with holiness is modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Uh, You know, when we think of modesty, we think of being covered. But really the word modest here uh, indicates well-arranged. The covering comes from really the word shamefacedness and sobriety. Those two words kind of give us the idea of covering. But the word modest here means to be well-arranged. So look nice. You don't have to look like... a you're wearing a potato sack, you know, or a burlap sack. God doesn't want us to look, you know, this dressed down appearance of the world is not godly. No, God wants us to look nice. Um, but anyway, we think about what it says in Exodus chapter 28 the priests were adorned for glory and for beauty. That it was. Glory, honor, for reverence. The word beauty has the idea of splendor, of rank, as attributes of God. It's considered as a quality or a characteristic of a person, thing, a group, etc. indicated so. It indicates by our dress, attire, the character of God. So they were to, they were to they were to be distinct from everyone else. They were to. The priests were distinctly dressed for glory and beauty as an honor of their position with God. You know, there's an interesting verse in 1 Peter 2.9 where it says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, so we are, we are God's priests, if you will. And we ought, and I got three things here I want to mention about dress. Number one, projection. That's what we're looking at now. I didn't I don't think I mentioned that. Projection. We ought to project this image or this glory or, or this honor of God to the world. Uh, in second Corinthians or 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, thirteen, eighteen, speaking of the king's daughters, said she had a garment of divers colors upon her, with such robes, the king's daughters that were virgins were appareled. Uh, in Proverbs thirty one, speaking of the virtuous woman, it says she maketh herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing is silk and purple. And in Ezekiel sixteen, when God is describing Israel and how he brought them, brought her as a child that was cast out and, and made her his wife, and this is this is how he decked her. Thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk, and work. Thou dost eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou dost prosper into a kingdom. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord. So, so you know, we're speaking here of, of presenting an image that glorifies and honors the Lord. And so we ought to dress in a way. We ought to, we ought, we ought to dress up, not dress down. See, the world, world's into this dress down thing. You know, the guys wear their pants hanging down about here in an accident waiting to happen. Or, you know, they just want to look sloppy. They, they seem to pride themselves in how sloppy they can look. That's a message. It's a message that I'm not in order. Or, I don't have an orderer. I don't have somebody telling me how I should look. Or, better put, nobody's telling me how i look. That's really the message that they're trying to portray. But we as God's children, we're, we are representatives of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3... 2 Corinthians chapter 3, again, verses 1 and 2. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And again, chapter 5, verse 20 now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did seat you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. If you had an ambassador from Britain come to see you, how do you think he's going to look? Do you think he's going to have his shirt tail hanging out and his hair uncombed and you know, in, in tennis shoes untied? Do you think he's going to look like that? Years ago, I was getting, we were getting ready to go in visitation, and I was in a dress shirt and tie. And I met the pastor's house, and somebody said, well, you're all dressed up. I said, well, this is kind of how I figure it. I'm going out to represent the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm his ambassador. I kind of think I look respectable. And he was in his T-shirt and tennis shoes untied. He said, "Hmm, never thought of it that way." The last time I saw him, he was out on a visit. Guess what? He had a, sh- a a button-down shirt and a tie on. I guess he got the message. Uh you know, you know you you would offend if you went with tennis shoes untied and a t-shirt hanging out. You would offend some people if you told them you were you were a representative of the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, to some you wouldn't, but to some you would. But, you know, to those some that you wouldn't offend, they'd probably expect you to look better than that. You see, we portray a message. David Cloud has a little book called Guidelines for Clothing. And in the introduction... Talking about uh, the message that clothing gives, and this 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 will, we'll get into this a little bit more later. But uh, not only clothing, but hairstyles. It says in in, a, in the book How to Marry the Man of Your Choice by Marbert Kent, who's a secular author, instructs women how to use clothing to manipulate men. Because um, she recommends body-hugging skirts and revealing blouses. The other one he quotes here is a, um, the, uh, the long hair and man in the, the fashions of rebellion that was brought about by the rock musicians in the 1960s. And he says this, quote, One of the rock songs of the 60s called the young men to grow their hair long and let freak flags show, unquote. David Lee Roth of Van Halen testified, Quote, my long hair is a flag. It's Tarzan. I'll always be anti-establishment. Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys sported long hair and popularized the surfer cut in the early 1960s. Commenting on the significance of this hair length, Wilson's biographer observes, the surfer cut, as it became to be known, was a radical thing to behold in 1962. Few parents would permit their sons to sport the look. Uh, Paul McCartney of the Beatles mockingly acknowledges the role in overthrowing sexual distinctions. And he said, quote, there they were in America, all getting house trained for adulthood with their indisputable principle of life. Short hair equals men. Long hair equals women. Well, we got rid of that small convention for them and a few others too, unquote. Yeah, with them came in the... the, the uh, Hippy look of the 60's uh, the dress down look the sloppy you know that's when men started wearing flip flops and you know all that garbage and, and anyhow um, it, it, it projected a certain image and we ought to project a certain image we ought to dress to please the Lord now obviously when you're working you're not going to look like this unless you're out on a visit But we ought to strive to look well arranged, in order, and decently in an order, uh, respectable. So, projection. We ought to project a certain image. Secondly, address standards are for our protection. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, again, verses 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. <clears throat> It says, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, which come with women professing godliness with good works. Uh, the word shamefacedness, according to Thayer's, uh, is, has a sense of shame. Strong's Concordance describes it as through the idea of downcast eyes, bashfulness, i.e., towards men. Uh, Richard Trent said this, the shame or sense of honor which hinders one from an unworthy act. So there's a sense of embarrassment or shame along with not covering yourself properly. That's the idea here. Obviously, in our world, most women have no clue what that is. I mean, it seems to be the day of let it all hang out, unfortunately. Uh, you know, Jeremiah 6.15 says were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush therefore they, shall, therefore they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down. So there's a sense of shame here it's an involuntary instinct in morally fallen men and women. That sense of shame is to be ashamed of their nakedness. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, immediately after they sinned, before they had sinned, the Bible says they were naked and they were not ashamed. But as soon as they sinned, as soon as they ate of that forbidden fruit, the very first thing that they they noticed was that they they noticed they were naked. They were innocent to that before. They didn't really think about it. But now all of a sudden, they noticed it. And they were ashamed. They were embarrassed. And so they made themselves fig leaves to cover themselves. To cover their shame. Um, so that was, that's instinctive in man. That's instinctive in man. Uh, to be ashamed and to instinctively want to cover themselves. Uh, this was, again, the first... First recorded result of their awakened consciousness. This is even before God sought them out. God hadn't come and calling for them yet, and they were already ashamed of their nakedness. And, of course, they made aprons. And, of course, God then said that's not sufficient. He made them coats of skins and clothed them. A coat speaks of a tunic, a long shirt-like garment or a robe. Uh, Clothes means to wrap around or to put on a garment, and so, so you know, and and this was given for protection. Uh, God designed clothing to be a protection for us. It's a fence. I don't know if you remember the message that Brother uh, Danford preached on loving fences, but clothing is a fence. God's standard of dress is a fence for us. Why why is that necessary? Well, for several reasons. Uh, let me give you a few. One, women are attracted by men's physical appearance. Now this isn't as strong as the other way around, but it is still true. What did the Genesis chapter 39 tell us about Potiphar's wife? You know, she was attracted to Joseph. Uh, Song of Solomon talks about this also. Uh, so, so there's an attraction of the physical appearance. But men, men are, are attracted um, in our day and time. Unfortunately, men, men un, with unnatural desires are attracted by other men's physical appearance. I know that sounds disgusting, but it is. The skinny leg jeans thing, they don't wear those for women. If you um, read something about Levi Strauss and why they, why they make these tight-fitting jeans for men, it's to attract other men to men. And I'm not going to say more about that. But, but, but the biggest reason is because men are strongly attracted by a woman's physical appearance. And this is the main issue with, with why we need to have dress standards. Uh, let's look at a couple of verses here. Genesis chapter 12. And we have illustrations of this in the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. And verses 1 and 2. I'm sorry, verses 11 and 12, not 1 and 2. 11 and 12. Genesis 12. Twelve eleven and twelve. It came to pass when he was come near in, to enter into Egypt. Of course, this is Abram. He said unto Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Again, verses fourteen it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So it's obvious that Sarah was a very beautiful woman, and Rebekah was likewise. But, and so and we see here that... That Abram, Abram's worried, he's already worried because he's got a beautiful wife, that when he gets into Egypt, and, and, and you know, one of the things that, you remember when, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember now if, whether it was Isaac or Abraham, when they went to Abimelech, I think it was Abraham. And Abimelech asked him, what did you see that made you do what you did? He said, well, I thought surely the, surely the fear of God is not in this place. So he was afraid that because they didn't fear God, they would just automatically kill him to get his beautiful wife. Um, and so you know, there's this attraction. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 2, we know this, the sad story of David. He saw a beautiful woman washing herself. And he's immediately attracted to her physical appearance. Amnon was attracted to Tamar because of her beautiful appearance. And again, I don't think there's any indication with her or with Sarah that they were actually really immodest. It's just they're just beautiful. Now, obviously Bathsheba was immodest. She was bathing herself. Uh, Matthew 5, we know this verse well, Matthew 5, 28. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28 says, But whoso, by saying to you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So men, and and this this is a natural thing, that men are attracted to the physical appearance of a woman. And this is true... Even of righteous men, uh, and you know, worldly women know this and they use this against men. In this book that I was beginning to mention, uh, she, she says this, this is uh, Margaret Kent, she's a lady, quote, don't let the power of clothing pass you by, for it can be a major asset in attracting men. Stir his sexual imagination with that satisfying his curiosity about your body to avoid being a nerd wearing clothing that follows the natural form of your body, unquote then part of another quote says, quote, genes are likely to get a positive response because they are snug and outline the body. They also represent casualness. Casualness. Now, so, you know, the world promotes women using their clothing to attract the attention of men. It's a sexual appeal. It's a sexual appeal. Uh, In, uh, let's see, I think I have another quote here on page, let's see, the right one. Yeah. On page 15 of this little book, This is an article appeared in McCall's Magazine. Now, McCall's is not a Christian magazine, and so they're not trying to defend the Christian faith or propagate the Bible, but this is an article entitled, What Your Intimate Behavior Says About You. Now, this may be offensive, but this is the truth. Quote, the female legs have also been the subject of considerable male interests as sexual signaling devices. The more... The mere exposure of leg flesh has been sufficient to transmit sexual signals. Needless to say, the higher the exposure goes, the more stimulating it becomes for the simple reason that it approaches the primary genital zone. Quote, the first way to accentuate is to employ articles of clothing which underline the nature of the organ hidden underneath them. Beneath them. For the female, this means wearing trousers, unquote. Now, that's in McCall's magazine. It's not what a preacher said. Um, It goes on. Quote, The way to emphasize the nature of the organs of the body is by wearing these clothing, trousers, shorts, or bathing costumes, that by their tightness reveal, unquote. So, you know, these, so these, Standards that God gives us are to protect us from attracting attention to the parts of the body that are to be private. You know, if you see a woman, as you ladies come in here tonight, that's properly attired, she immediately commands your respect and honor. You know, a lady told my wife years ago that she she did agree that men were more respectful to her, showed more respect when she wore dresses than when she wore jeans. See, a lady that's properly dressed, modestly with shamefacedness and sobriety, automatically automatically cl- commands respect. You know, the message she's giving is look, I am not for sale. I'm not advertising. You know, if if you would, if the Apostle Paul were to walk around in our modern society, he would say that most of the women are prostituting. That's what he'd say. They look like they're for sale. See, dress standards protect us from giving that image or from drawing attention to body parts that we ought not draw. See, attention. If if we're if we're dressed right, man or woman, if we're dressed right from neck to knee, guess where your attention first goes? To the face. To the face. But if there are certain parts of the body, particularly the the the, the General parts that are accentuated, that's where your attention goes. And men, I'm going to be playing tonight. Men, I, there, I saw a lady wrote this in response to a woman's article about clothing. She said men need to be careful with the kind of pants they're wearing nowadays because a lot of men's pants are becoming tight in the crotch area and shh, revealing things they ought not reveal. By the way, that's the way women's cl- pants are made, to be tight in that area. But you know, Justin Bieber and his tight-fitting you know, skinny jeans, it, they're, they're making them to be tight in all areas. Again, that's, a lot of that's... The, the, the clothing companies are pro-sodomite. They're pro-sodomites, many of them. And so they are not just to attract women, but to attract men. Uh, Levi Strauss don't make any bones about it. Anyway, they, they were dropping their support of Boy Scouts way back when Boy Scouts refused to allow homosexuals in, so they dropped their support of Boy Scouts, or they were promoting homosexuality. So God established standards addressed to protect us from sin. You notice again, it says that in Matthew 5:28 that he hath committed adultery with her in his heart. Um... So, if a woman dresses uh, in a way that provokes men to sin in their hearts, is she not sinning also? So, that's protection or protect and projection. Then you notice a third thing, and that is distinction, and. Deuteronomy 22.5, and also 1 Timothy 2.9, and I want to look at another passage. Of course, we, we, I think everybody knows what Deuteronomy 22.5 says, probably. But anyway, I'm going to read it anyhow. Deuteronomy 22.5 <clears throat> says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And then in uh, 1 Timothy 2.9 uh, again, it says that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, the word apparel here is a different word from what is used for men's apparel. It is a it is a cotta stella. Now, you might say, well, that's that's you have to really really uh, dig to get that out. Okay, well, go to First Corinthians chapter six and verse nine. First Corinthians chapter six and verse nine. And it's, there's a still a principle other than that in the New Testament that tells us that men should not wear women's clothing. First Corinthians 6.9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. So, you know, there were people in Corinth who previously had practiced these kind of things, but when they got saved, they gave them up. So, it's not saying that these kind of people cannot be saved, but what it is saying is a person that practices these kind of things is not saved. That's their practice in life. And now, I want you to notice the two words we're looking at here tonight, effeminate, at the end of verse 9, "...and abuses themselves with mankind." The word effeminate means soft, or soft to touch, or soft raiment. It could also refer to somebody that is soft, womanlike, who is partnered with a man. But the reason I don't believe it's referring to that is because of what the rest of the verse says, "...nor abuses themselves with mankind," That is referring to sodomites. So, effeminate then means soft or soft frame. A man given to girl like things. We in our modern culture, we don't use this word because it's offensive now. I don't know why it's offensive and all these other things. Transvestite. And a transvestite is, a, is someone who cross dresses. Um, you know men there are men that like to wear women's clothes I remember the first time I saw this we were in Bangor, Maine downtown and we're driving down the street and I looked over to my right and at first I thought it was a woman but the legs were hairy he he, or she had on a skirt, it was, I think it was white, so like a nurse would wear, black shoes, a black purse, and I don't remember what color of shirt it was. But it was a guy walking down the street. I said, look at that. He said, oh, that's gross. There was a parade at the Olympics when they had it in Australia, and I think it was like 600, five or 600 men Dressed up, paraded as dressed up as women, as like a demonstration. And this is what God's saying here, you know. So, so God says, not the the effeminate shall not inherit to him. God. So those who would cross dress, men, given to women's things. Now, in that piece of paper I gave out to you. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of criticism over, over Deuteronomy 22.5. People say, well, that's the only verse in the Bible. No, it's not the only verse in the Bible. I just gave you another one or two more. But anyway, and what all the commentators from hundreds of years ago said about this verse, and every one of them has the idea it makes a distinction of the sexes by apparel. For example, Matthew Henry on the back page of the letter G, he was 1662 to 1714, and uh, he says, The distinction of sexes by the apparel is to be kept up for the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity. Nature itself teaches that a difference to be made between them in their hair and by the same rule in their clothes, which therefore ought not to be confounded either in ordinary wear or occasionally. Uh, then Caledic and Delix, the last one there, down toward the bottom, the last paragraph, last half of the paragraph, says, "This is given, but to maintain the sanctity of that distinction of the sexes which was established by the creation of man and woman, in relation to which Israel was not to sin. Every violation or wiping out of this distinction, such even for example as the emancipation of a woman, was unnatural and therefore an abomination in the sight of God." And you know, you can read the others there, but all of them have to do with has to do with wearing. Men's clothing or women wearing, what I say? Women wearing men's clothing or men wearing women's clothing. It's the cross-dressing. You know, it's confusion. If you go out in society, yeah, you know, when God made them male and female, could you tell a difference? Yeah, you could. But when they dress the same, it makes it difficult to tell. And the hair length. The hair length is another distinction that God has given us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about men to have, uh, uh, not to have, have long hair. It's a shame. It's, in other words, that word shame means it's vile. But, a, but the long hair of a woman is a glory to her. There should be a distinct difference. So when you go out that door and you look across the road, a hundred yards away, and you see a man and woman, you ought to be able to immediately tell which is which by their clothing and by their hair. But to mar this distinction is confusion. And what do we have today when it comes to men and women? We have total chaos. And guess where it started? It didn't start with homosexuals. It didn't start with the transgenders. It started with men wanting to be like women and women wanting to do men's do take men's role. Feminism. Feminism is an enemy of a society. And it's coming to haunt them. And really this isn't just a issue in churches, an issue of dress standards. Really, the real issue is headship. Or, to put it another way, submission to God-given authority. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about. Because God set the standards. God set the role models... And he set the authority. The head of every woman is the man. The head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. So to reject God-given distinctions between gender is not only anti-science. You can't deny biology. Like I say, the feminists... The feminists are bringing their destruction on their own heads with now the transgender thing and boys being allowed to participate in girls' sports and cleaning their clocks. Sorry, guys, gals, but guys are made different than you are. Their muscles are bigger, their hearts are bigger, their lungs are bigger. They have greater capacity for endurance. And they're going to clean your clock every time. There may be a woman here and there can beat certain men. But as a general rule, men are going to beat women. No, we can't have babies. When it comes to sports or anything like that, we're, men are just going to, are superior. That's just all there is to it. because men and women's bodies were made different by God. You can't deny biology. So now in you know these high school sports uh, I saw just recently, you know this thing going on in Connecticut that there several of the young ladies there at the school are suing uh, the state, I think it's the state or the school over this line transgender boys to race in their track meets. See this is where the feminist, feminism is taking us. It's, it, it's just, and it's the whole thing is a denial or rejection of the God-given distinctions that he made between the genders. If God made you a woman, glory in it. Be a woman that pleases and honors God. If God made you a man, glory in it. And be a man that honors God. To reject your God-ordained gender is rebellion against God, and to desire to wear the the clothing or to uh, of the opposite gender again is a rejection of God's created order. So submission is the heart of the matter. Now, as we think about this, in conclusion, Brother Cloud in this book gives five uh, concluding suggestions about dress standards. And number one, make sure your convictions are biblically based. We need to have a Bible reason to believe it. I believe I gave you some Bible reasons. It is biblical. Um, Number two, when you have a conviction, be firm. Don't, Don't waver no matter who you're with or what environment you find yourself in. If it's wrong, it's wrong. It's wrong to wear a bathing suit walking down the street. It's wrong to wear one in the swimming pool when other people are The water doesn't have anything to do with it. Number three, be kind when you have convictions. Don't be a smart aleck. When you have to express yourself or say no or to give a reason, be kind about it. Number four, don't act superior. Don't act like you're better than anybody else. Just because you have dress standards doesn't mean you're better than anyone else. We're not better than anyone else. You know, sometimes that's what they're, they're going to say. That's often the first thing they're going to say about you if you have standards is, oh, you just think you're better than everyone else. No. You know, and that could be whether you have a conviction about drinking, smoking, dress, you know, whatever it is. That's that's the first thing people are going to say. It's not anything new. So um, don't act superior. And then number five, if you have to talk to somebody about these things, deal with the heart first. It is a heart issue. It is a heart issue. And, uh, and so, um, you know, we believe the Bible teaches, you know, these distinctions, you know, there's two two distinction. Of course, the dress and also the hair, um, but you know, the, also uh, God has, you know, given us these principles in His Word to protect a certain image, an image that glorifies and honors God in the way that we dress, men and women, uh, a way that protects us from attracting people to our, or the opposite gender to ourselves and then gives a clear distinction as to whether I'm a man or a woman. Uh, and we should be, we should be, uh, you know, it, it shows that we accept the gender that God made us. So we ought to rejoice in it and glorify him uh, in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us and the principles that we find in your word. I pray that you give us wisdom in these areas to understand the truth. And Father, we we'll allow you to search our hearts and just a desire to please you. And I pray that you give us wisdom in this day and time in which we're living to project a good image that glorifies and honors the Lord. Uh, Father, uh, as Matthew says, that we may... That, they, that the world may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So I pray that we'd not be a stumbling block to uh, the loss of those around us that we're trying to reach and, or encourage. So, Lord, just, just help us, give us wisdom, and um, help us just to be sensitive and submissive and allow you to have your will and way in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.